Good morning. It is good to see each of you, and if you're visiting again, we welcome you. It is good to have you this morning. You being here encourages us, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Be sure and be back tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll have a service where the theme will be the back to school, and as already this morning, Sean has prayed on behalf of our schools and our students. Uh, we'll continue that. Uh, some, sometimes we have to face the reality of James, the fourth chapter. We have not because we ask not. And we want to make sure that that's not true when it comes to our prayers on behalf of our children. We want to make sure that we pray and that we ask God's blessing because they're far too important to leave up to just our hands alone. And let's make sure that we begin this school year uh, giving our children over to the Lord and asking Him to bless and prosper their life. Keep in mind, two weeks from today, we'll have a uh, financial-themed Sunday And then the seminar will continue also on Monday evening. It will be a tremendous time for us to think about stewardship and to think about uh, all that God has blessed us with and our responsibility as we care for that. Also, it is a theme that people in the community are very concerned about. This would be a wonderful time to invite your neighbors, invite your friends. And so be thinking about that and considering who you can invite. And maybe uh, we could do more than help individuals with just their material possessions, and maybe we could help and encourage them also with their soul. It is good to have new members uh, with us this morning. It's wonderful to have visitors with us each Sunday. Let's make sure we're wise with all the opportunities that God has given us. Overrated. When we see, for example, the NFL draft, That's oftentimes the words that we hear as people debate whether or not someone should be drafted in the first round or the third round. And and the argument would be, oh, that player is overrated. Or sometimes it's just certain skills that the individual has. It says that particular fact of their speed or their stats, they're overrated. Friends, this morning, I want you to think about two things that you cannot overrate. Number one, you can't overrate Christianity. Someone says, what kind of life are you going to live? And someone makes a hard sale for the life of Christianity. You can't overrate that hard sale. There cannot be too much good said and considered about the Christian life. But notice this second thing, and that is a characteristic of Christianity. That is steadfastness. Friends, steadfastness cannot be overrated. This morning, I would like for us to think about that passage in Psalms, the 51st chapter in verse 10. And if you notice, especially the second phrase where he says, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, when he says a steadfast spirit within me, some translations will say a right spirit within me. Steadfast is probably more accurate. It's more of a detailed translation because in the original Hebrew, that that was definitely the the word back in the Hebrew was that dealing with consistency, with steadfastness. But it is interesting to study both of those translations together because when we stop and say, well, why would they have translated that a right spirit instead of steadfast? Well, what is a right spirit in the sight of God? Have you ever seen a time where God was satisfied with someone who began living for Him, but yet it was short-lived and they left Him and went back to the world? God would say that's not a right spirit. What is a right spirit? 
A right spirit is steadfastness. Friends, God has never offered the prize. We studied last week of having pressed toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God has never spoke of our pressing toward a goal and of that prize except it being in light of the prize being given to the ones who finish. God never rewards beginners. That sounds almost cruel, but it's a fact. God never rewards beginners. God rewards those who finish. Now, obviously, we have to begin in order to finish. But what God has longed for, and when we go from Genesis to Revelation, what we see over and over in the Scriptures is that God wants us to be steadfast. Now, that's the introduction to steadfast. Let's drop back and give a second introduction this morning, quickly, just to Psalms, the 51st chapter, and then let's go into this renew a steadfast spirit in me. When we think of Psalms 51, the 19 verses are a prayer. They are verses of a prayer that David prayed after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, murdered. This was the prayer where he was seeking God to forgive him. This in the Hebrew is naturally divided into four stanzas. The first four verses deal with sin as it relates to God. Verses 5 through 9 deal with sin as it relates to the sinner. And in this chapter, it would be David. For you and I, it'd be ourselves. But then in the next four verses, in verses 10 through 14, he makes the great appeal where he is longing for God to do something for this. In other words, he's longing for God's grace and God's mercy. How foolish people are when they say grace is a New Testament topic. No, this is a prime example of God being gracious throughout all of His dealings with mankind. But then finally, in 15 through 19, we see it's even a greater appeal. In other words, it's more broad in its scope where even it deals with how sin and as it relates to even other people than just the sinner themselves. G. Campbell Morgan says that the deepest note in Psalms 51 is there at the beginning of verse 4 where he says, Against you and you only have I sinned. It is powerful to see the humility of David as he recognizes the seriousness of sin and to take responsibility for the sin and to recognize this sin was against God. God, it's against you I have sinned. Also, to me, what is just as powerful about this deep note is what is not there. Do you realize when you read these 19 verses, you do not see anything directly, indirectly, reading on the lines or between the lines. You see nothing of David trying to cast blame anywhere else. He says against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil. He doesn't say if Uriah would just build a privacy fence around his roof. He doesn't say or even imply if Bathsheba would have just been a little more discreet. He doesn't say, well, if Uriah would have just fallen from my acts of deception, everybody could have lived here. Now, before you say, well, obviously he's not going to do that, I beg you to be a little bit more real with yourself. That is our human nature, is to defend ourselves and to blame someone else, or at least try to get someone to share that blame with us. 
Friends, no doubt, the deepest note in Psalms 51 is that humility where David simply states, I'm a sinner, and recognizes that sin harms his relationship with God. Now, with that in mind, let's look again to that last phrase in Psalms 51 and 10. Notice again where he says, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Now, this idea of renew a steadfast spirit demands four things. You see, if you took out one of your favorite magazines right now, there would probably somewhere in that magazine be a card so that you could subscribe to that magazine. And haven't you noticed that they almost say, uh, they almost always have two boxes that you can check? And one will be for first-time subscribers, and the second will be for those that want to renew their subscription. We understand that easily. That is for someone who has already been receiving this subscription, and they want to continue receiving it, a renewal. David, what do you want? He says, I know what I had at one time in my life. I had a steadfast spirit with God, and I want to renew that steadfast spirit. It's amazing to me to think of all the things that David longed for, the thing that he missed, that he mentions here, is I want that steadfast spirit again. I know what it was like to wake up in the morning and know that my relationship was right with God. I remember what it was like to be able to look at myself in a mirror and accept who I am because I know by God's grace I'm saved and I know by my decision and my commitment I am faithful to God. He knew what it was to have a life of peace and hope, a life of spiritual prosperity. And now David found himself, at the time he's praying this, he found himself in the depths of sin. That steadfast life was not there. That's what he longed to achieve. Back up, if you will, with me to 1 Samuel, the 13th chapter. As I studied for this this week, there was something that stood out to me that I had thought about each of these individually in the past, but I'd never put the two together. And really, putting the two passages together puts together a third thought. When we think about David's steadfastness, we think about the greatest compliment that's ever been paid to mortal man, to an individual, was probably when God described David as a man after his own heart. Now think of a sandwich here, if you will. In other words, think of the kings that preceded and then followed David. You had King Saul, then you had David, and then you had his son as King Solomon. Now, when Saul was losing his kingdom, he offered up a sacrifice because the people were fearful. Fear will lead us to do things that's wrong. That's why we need to be strong and courageous and do not be afraid. They were fearful, so Saul did something that was wrong. He offered up a sacrifice that it wasn't his place to offer it. And so as a result of this, when we read in 1 Samuel the 13th chapter and verse 14, he says, Samuel says to him, But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be a commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. He's talking to Saul. Saul, you're not going to have your kingdom anymore. Why? You have not kept the commands of the Lord. Well, what are you going to do for a king, God? I'm going to find someone who has a heart like mine. Isn't it interesting that that's what offsets the heart of God? 
is whether or not one will keep the will of God. But think about it. When we disobey God's commands, we are disobeying God. In other words, God is saying, this is my heart. This is my life. This is my existence. And this is what I want you to be. And so when we disobey God, we're literally saying, God, I don't want to have a heart like yours. And so David was sought after because he had a heart like God. Now turn over to 1 Kings, the 11th chapter. Now we look at the king that was David's son, Solomon. Prayed for wisdom or understanding to properly judge the people. He was given great wisdom, but yet in his old age, he seems to lose faith here. And in 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, we see in verse 2, he began to intermarry wives that, that God told him not to marry. And in 3, it ends by saying his wives turned away his heart. Now notice verse 4. Now think about the heart here. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. Isn't that interesting to see? Now we see the king immediately following David. And when his heart wasn't right, God brings that up again about David. He says, your heart wasn't loyal. Well, what had he done? He had disobeyed God. God had told him not to take wives from those people. He had disobeyed God. Disobeying God does what? It turns our heart from God. And God reminisces here and says, You know, Solomon, you were not loyal like your father. His heart was loyal. I need to ask myself this morning about steadfastness, and I can better understand it in view of David. Here is a man that even as a child was chosen to serve as a king from a shepherd's field because when he faced a lion and a bear, he faced it through faithfulness. He believed that God would give him the strength to conquer that lion and bear. And when he faced Goliath, I'm afraid that sometimes we get the notion that it was a little boy that was just big on himself and he was a brave little boy and he rolled up his sleeves and it was, let me show you what the little guy can do against the big guy. Read that story again. It was all about David's faith. When he saw Goliath come out and challenge and over and over, David uses the words, when he saw Goliath defy the army of God. David could not stand in his faithfulness off to the side and see anyone, whether he was a giant or if he were small. He could not stand to see someone defeating God's army. That's why when he goes before Goliath, he mentions the fact, you come to me with sword and with spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of God of Israel, of whose armies you defy. Friends, David did not look at himself as the small one against the big one. He realized with faithfulness he and God were so much greater than Goliath. He literally believed that he had the upper hand being on God's side. That's faithfulness. He had been appointed king, but yet when Saul chased him around for seven years trying to take his life, he would not retaliate against Saul. Why? Because of his faithfulness. This was God's anointed. 
when he was uh, when he finally served as the king for seven and a half years before Judea, and then thirty three more years Israel and Judea, he reigned over them. During the beginning of his reign, he subdued the enemies of God so much that they never had the upper hand again as long as he was king. As a matter of fact, he wouldn't be what we call a world. Uh, empire, but he was and led the strongest kingdom on the earth in his day. He had written many of the Psalms that you and I appreciate by the time he had committed that sin with Bathsheba. Do you see the points I'm making? Is it, is it building up here? From a little boy in a shepherd's field, his life was about faithfulness. Before Goliath, his life was about faithfulness. Running from Saul, the only reason he didn't retaliate, it was about faithfulness to God. Fighting the armies and subduing the enemies of God was all about faithfulness. Read the Psalms that he wrote and you could see the close relationship that he had with God. Now he commits this dark hour of sin. Now he is no longer faithful. Now he is in the depths of sin. And what does he want? David, out of everything you could ask for, what do you want at this point? He says, I remember what it was like to have a steadfast spirit. God, renew the steadfast spirit within me. If you've never given your all to God for a period of time, you can't pray that prayer. Your prayer would need to be, Lord, help me to have a steadfast spirit. A spirit where I don't ask questions, I just obey you, Lord. I don't reign, I allow you to reign in my life. I don't serve Satan or self. I serve you. Lord, I want that steadfast spirit. But there may be someone here this morning that you've had that period in your life where you would have given your all for God. And you did give your all for God during that time period. And now maybe some things have discouraged you. Maybe some people have discouraged you. Maybe you've discouraged yourself. But whatever reason, now you find yourself in a valley spiritually. But there's something you've never forgotten. You've never forgotten what it was like to have that steadfast spirit. Occasionally now, when you look yourself in the mirror, you think about the way it used to be. When you think about the relationships you had with God's family at that time, and you miss it, you think about what that steadfastness used to be. When you think about the courage you had to stand up and to make a difference for something that really matters, eternal glory. You had that boldness then. This morning, I'm begging you, have a heart like David that says, you know what? I have sinned. And I'm not going to blame it on anybody except me. I have been discouraged. And it's because of my sin But I know what I want. I want God's forgiveness. And I want to know that steadfast spirit again.
Let me mention to you three things as we move toward an invitation. It was then that he was fractured. You see, he knew what it was to have that steadfast spirit, but he also knew what it was to fall, and that's where he committed that wrong against Bathsheba and Uriah, but most importantly against the Lord. But that's when it hurts so bad. If you tell me today, right now, I have a fractured ankle, what we all would immediately think is pain. We would think of of the impairedness and and the handicap that it would be from a day-to-day basis. We think of the fact of, obviously, you're not as strong right now as you once were. David says, let me tell you where I am. My heart is broken. My bones are broken. Look back, if you will, in Psalms 51, and in verse 8, the end, he says, the bones you have broken may rejoice. He feels the weight of that brokenness. And then in 17, he says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise And when we look over in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter in verse 10, we see that there in that verse that it is godly sorrow that leads to repentance. But we also see that a sorrow of the world leads to death. What's the point? Did you notice there back in verse 8 it said God broke the bones? And then did you notice in verse 17 he says, I bring to you the sacrifice of a spirit that's broken, a spirit that's crushed. You know, the coat... The coach of the Colts, Dungy. He has a son. It's been in the news a lot at various times. That has a disease so that he cannot have feeling. And at first thought, you think, wow, that'd be neat. You could lay your hand on a hot stove and, and it wouldn't burn you. And, and you say, wow, no pain. Now that's terrible. Because if you lay your hand on a hot stove and you do not know that it's hot, great damage is done before you visually with your eyes look and see what has happened. Friends, I suggest to you this morning that God breaking our bones is a blessing. When God creates people that are steadfast in such a way that when they sin, their heart is broken, that good conscience is defiled and feels the pain Peter, he denied three times. But what did he do? When he saw Jesus look at him, when the rooster crowed, he went out and he wept bitterly. That pain broke his heart, but yet it was a godly sorrow that led him back in Acts 2 to preach the first gospel sermon. And you know what he pleaded for those people to be and to become? He pleaded for them to be people with broken hearts. And in verse 37 it was, they were pricked in the heart. And they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? I hope this morning, if you and I are here and our life isn't right with God, I hope we're hurting. I hope we're hurting so badly that we say, I've got to do something. God is breaking my bones. I'm tired of this kind of life. I remember what the steadfast life was all about. And I've sinned against God. And I don't want to hurt God any longer. And that's where we need forgiveness. At the beginning of Psalms 51, we see at the end of 1 and end of 2, he talks about transgressions, iniquities, and sins. 
And he wants them blotted out, washed out, and cleansed. In the text there of the Hebrew where it says cleansed, about sins cleansed. Do you know that we don't have an English word for what that original word was? One scholar, I thought, described it best. He kind of made up a word. And he said the best we could come up with that describes to be washed from our sin, as David uses it here, is to be unsinned. David is looking at himself in sin, and he's praying to God, and he says, God, I just ask you to make me unsinned. In other words, make the guilt of my sin as if I never sinned to begin with. We say, I can't imagine that. That'd be like saying, I want to go back in time and make it never happen. But that's what forgiveness is. We can't take away the results of it on this earth. But forgiveness in the sight of God is to say, I'm going to forgive you as if it never happened. David understood that. This morning, whatever spiritual burden that you and I are carrying because of sin, do you realize that we can leave here this morning unsinned? We can leave here spiritually as if it never happened. We can leave here this morning on the path of steadfastness. But it's going to take a contrite heart, a humbleness to say, God, I'm a sinner, and I've sinned against you. I was faithful, but I'd fallen. I'm fractured, and I want forgiveness. There's two things you can't overrate. Christian life, which involves steadfastness. On the day of judgment, the Lord's not going to ask you, did you begin? The question's going to be, did you finish? Now, if you never have begun, this morning is a time to begin with the end in sight of remaining faithful. A believer willing to repent, confess before men, be baptized into Christ to live that Christian life. Maybe you've begun that Christian life and somewhere along the way you find yourself like David this morning. You've entered a valley that you wish you'd never entered and you're sorry for it and you want forgiveness so you can know that steadfast life again. And if you are ready to repent and confess sins, let's pray forgiveness. Let's all leave here this morning steadfast spirit in the Lord. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.